All right, there we are. Good, we got some coming in. Welcome everybody. Several of our folks, Megan Pike, morning Megan, Tyler Phillips and others. Um, you know, we can't all be together, but at least we can join virtual spaces and feel uh, feel connected with, with one another. Um, well, Mike has already done one of these today. And so he is warmed up, ready to go. He's firing on all cylinders and is ready to bring the A game this morning. But uh, Dr. Stroop, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. It's good to be good to be with you. Yeah. Well, you know, a little background to this for, for those that are joining as we have a few more joining in. Um, you know, we're, we're still figuring out in pandemic. <laughs> um, we, we've adjusted a lot of what we've done through the Truett Church Network. And, and I reached out to Dr. Stroop uh, back in early January, maybe even December about, hey, what, let's have another conversation. Let's talk. And many of you have reached out and said, uh, while you appreciate some of the other um, outside voices, outside of Truett, authors, experts, other people we've had in, that you really value hearing from our professors as well. And so really, this was a lot of Dr. Stroop's idea and conversation of what would it look like to just ask, um, as we're all uh, parsing division in society, um, differences of deep differences of opinions and beliefs within our families and our friends group and our churches, what would it look to just talk about um, either life hacks or how we kind of nav navigate faithfulness currently and then also just in our history, in our ministry history? And so we're all asking these questions, you know, um, how, how do we be both prophetic and pastoral in our ministries and not burn relationships as much as possible in doing so? How do we hold just the edges of our churches and families and groups together without fracturing down the middle? How do we remain hopeful and not allow sort of cynicism to just uh, creep into our souls and just in uh, many, many other things that I think a lot of us are asking. And so this is what we want to do in this series of Navigating Faithfulness is just share some stories um, about how others have navigated this along the way. Not that they're experts or have it all figured out, but that have trod down similar roads and we can all learn from and discuss this together. So Mike, again, thank you for joining us and being with us and I look forward to the conversation. So given that little preface, um, I'll just, just ask, I mean, can you tell us of a season or a time when navigating faithfulness, uh, using that term, was really a struggle for you? Yeah. Well, let me preface. Th thanks, Matt, for doing this and uh, for having me. Uh, let me First preface, as you said, I'm not an expert, and I have I have failed at faithfulness, and maybe uh, maybe we learn best from our failures. And so, uh, yeah, I just need to say that up front that I'm not coming as the one who is so faithful has 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 it all together. And so I acknowledge that, and also to say that this this is maybe one man's story, and it's not every man's or woman story. And that we all navigate this differently because our personalities, because of our situations, and 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 what life pitches at us is different. Uh, and and you know, I think about my own life, and I've I've really had it good in terms of my health, in terms of how the things have fallen together. And yet I know some people that boy, uh, it has not been that. And so uh, I I take no, uh, I, I'm I'm not prescribing <laughs> my story for other people. And then probably also I need to say that I don't think I'm saying anything new here. And maybe it's just a matter of 
what we know and what we maybe need to rehearse aloud and just say that this is what faithfulness is. Uh, you prepped me with this, this first question, and, and I thought back through, oh, what have been the events in my life, and what have been the times when, when I've had to navigate what it meant to be faithful? And uh, I mean, I've, I've gone through some stuff. I've gone through the death of a dear, very dear friend, and this was, was devastating. Uh, I've had a, a very close friend walk away from the faith, and that was uh, just so, so hard. And then... Um, and then I, I basically was fired from a job that I was in for a long time. And uh, you know, I, can, I can paint my departure from the International Mission Board in a pretty way, but it was a hard ordeal. And, uh, and, uh, and, then, um, and then we went through a war in Sri Lanka and just, you know, just trying to, to do right by my friends there as well as by my family, but yet also stay engaged in uh, ministry. And so, you know, I, I could rehearse all of those and kind of talk about what I did. But as I thought about the, the question, it's, it's really, it's really uh, faithfulness in the small things that led up to those things that maybe produces faithfulness. And so um, my point is, I think that it's, it's, uh, it's with the small that we're able to meet the big, which says to me, Mike Stroop, if you're not faithful in the small things, then you're going you're gonna to strike out swinging in the big things. Uh, I won't be ready for those big things. And, and if I, and as I look back on, I mean, leaving the IMB and the death of a friend and, um, and the war we went through, if there was anything that gave me stability in the midst of that was the fact that there were some practices in my life and there was some history of trying to be faithful to my promises and to my spouse and to my friends that made the difference when I went through the deep waters. And so, um, uh, I mean, I don't think you can really measure the man or the woman by how well they go through a war or the death of a friend as much as you can say, Here, here's how they're living in the small things and how they're, they're caring for the small things. And that will be an indicator of how well they'll do in the big things and the hard things. And so in a, in a way, I think we're practicing faithfulness so that we're prepped and ready for when those things that will come in our, our life, because they will come. And, uh, and, and it's not just that we're doing it for that. Yeah, we're, we're practicing in the small ways because those are important, whether it's uh, tending to uh, an ailing spouse or tending to uh, a relationship that's gone awry or being faithful to tell the truth. I mean, those small things have, have, a, have a mounting effect. And so if, you know, in my, in my ripe old age at 69, I would say that's the lesson I've learned. And uh, if we want to be prepared, if we want to be faithful, when it really does matter, then we've got to be faithful when maybe it doesn't, we think, matter. Well, and I mean, we're not no, that's great. And we're not here to plug through at seminary, but that certainly falls in with the ethos of how you are see we are seeking to form and how many of us have been formed about spiritual formation, caring for your soul, um, self-care, these things that, uh, which is essentially to say we're forming a culture of, of integrity and faithfulness every day, all day, that then show themselves. You know, Matt Snowden, your pastor, one of your pastors, was on several months ago and talked a lot about 
culture eating strategy for breakfast. And that's not exactly what we're talking about, but that idea of, and I just read Scott McKnight's culture of, of Tove about forming a culture of goodness in everything that we do that, it, that exudes all the way out, sort of in peacetime and conflict um, yeah. all the way through. But I appreciate that. The way I thought about it, Matt, is that it's about, it's about being whole. Mm. And I'm building wholeness to my life. That, I, that I'm not just a worker bee and I'm not just a preaching man and I'm just not just a teacher, but if I can build a wholeness and with wholeness then comes integrity. Integrity, which means that all the pieces fit together. And if there's, yeah. any, if there's any malady in our world this day is fragmentation. That I'm one way with this person, I'm one way with this person, I'm, I'm this at the office, I'm this at home. And there's not a wholeness. I think the think the biggest thing, I mean, the, the biggest compliment that can be said of Matt and of Mike, of anybody else, of Andrew Bowles, <laughs> is that he is who he is, no matter where he is. There's wholeness. And, and I think that comes by that we are not faithful when we're on the stage talking or when we're writing a book or when we're in the classroom. But what people see of Mike is Mike. There's wholeness to his being. And that then allows me not to shatter, not to come apart, not to fragment when really the pressure comes. And so I, I think about it almost like a, like, a, like a ball that has to be put together and held together and the glue there holds it together when the pressure comes. And that's, that's, that's integrity, that's, that's wholeness. So if I can get personal a bit, I mean, what, would you be willing to share some of your temptations perhaps that threaten your wholeness? I mean, that threaten to drag and that might lead you towards celebrity. I mean, because I mean, Mike, we all look up to you. I mean, you know, it would be easy <laughs> to get a big head about that, even in Truett's world, you know. Um, yeah, would you be and, and what practices or relationships or people have kept that at bay, kept that fragmentation at bay and helped keeping you whole? Well, well, I mean, there's there's several things there. I think one is that I don't lie to myself. We can lie to our, we can be, we can be self-deceptive. It doesn't mean that I beat myself down, but I have a realistic look. I mean, I know that I'm a, I mean, my calling card says sinner saved by grace. And I know that I can sin today. And I know that I can do something terrible to destroy my marriage, to destroy relationships, uh, destroy someone's character. I'm on the, I'm on the precipice of that all the time. And so I think to, and not, not to live paralyzed in fear, but to have a, a healthy understanding that I am a man fallen and I've been redeemed by God's grace. And therefore uh, I live in that. And so, uh, so, and so just to tell the truth, uh, to, to, to be honest. And then uh, I think to, to, to realize that, that posturing and self-promotion is deadly and, 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 I mean, the thing I fear, I mean, to be, to be personal, the thing I fear more than anything else as a man is, is obscurity. Mm. And uh, I grew up a people pleaser and I want people to be happy and I want people to think well of Mike. And that, that's, to that's toxic in that I then will live for that and make that my aim. And therefore I tell lies to myself and I, and I exaggerate to other people. And I'll even flatter people in order to get them to like me. And that's not wholeness. That's not truth. And so if I can live with others with that kind of uh, self-awareness, uh, 
then that to me that 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 cultivates faithfulness in those yeah. relationships. And so if I if I do something against you, Matt, I need to come to you and say, this this is humiliating to say I was wrong, and that uh, uh, what what I said was a lie or what I said was an exaggeration. And therefore, I need to confess that to you, and I need to confess it to God, and I need I need to pray. There, I mean, I tr- Matt, try. I, I do pray every day. I have my time in the morning, and the three things I pray for are against are the pr- the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes. Mm. All three of those are there, and the 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 one for me is this pride of life more than anything else is self righteousness and self promotion and uh, wanting to be on the stage and to be known. And so to say that aloud, well, it's the one to say it to God and to say it to myself, but then also to have a friend who knows that I understand that and they can maybe even question me about that. To me, that's, that's helping. So to me, that's a practice that, that I, I realize who I am and, uh, and, that, uh, and, and, and that, that I have failed. Yeah. And that a uh, failure is in my is in my resume, <laughs> and that uh, and that uh, by the grace of God I've overcome that or I've gone past that, but it's there. To me, that creates wholeness. The enemy of wholeness is notoriety and the stage success, uh, wanting too many trophies, <laughs> and uh, that I walk humbly. Uh, two mornings ago, I was reading the story of Paul and Ananias. And over here, here we have Ananias, and it says that he was a faithful man, and he was praying, and God spoke to him, and yet the rest of the book is about Paul. <laughs> and I think, what, what is this about? Well, Ananias had a role, and he played his role, and under the grace of God, of course, he may have done other things, but he did this. He went, he went in a brave way to Straight Street and found Paul and anointed his eyes and, and all that. So realize that I, that I am not the dean of the school. I am not some great preacher. I'm not these things. And to say, this is, this is who I am. And this is what God has given me. Can I be faithful to that right there in front of me? And to me, that's wholeness. And that then produces then uh, faithfulness, maybe in things that I don't expect that come my way. So, yeah. So, yeah, I don't, uh, yeah. Yeah, just confessing my sin and realizing that I'm a sinner saved by grace and that I maybe have a role, but it's not, it's not, yeah. A part of lusting, a lust, the lust of, a, of the eyes is that I see someone else and their role and I lust after it and I neglect what's in front of me. And I want to be elsewhere and I want to be somebody else. And so I, I get distracted from that little girl in front of me or that student in front of me and I'm looking beyond. And then that, that fragments my being to where I'm not faithful. You know, being doing placement at Truett for, um, you know, well, the past six years on and off though, Jack Bodenhammer does most of that. Now I still get a lot of the calls and it's amazing how many times you get a call from a pastor, student minister to, I mean, any role in ministry. Um, about looking into moving, right? They want to explore that conversation. And when you kind of drill down on why, I mean, sometimes there's some really good spirit-filled reasons. Sometimes there's conflict, but 
much of the time, maybe not most, but close to it, um, there's a friend doing better in ministry, <laughs> you know, and, and, and maybe getting paid more, maybe, or maybe it's not even real. It's just kind of in their mind. And there's this feeling that we're not where we should be or, or need to be a little higher up, a little further along. And I've certainly felt that in my own self very often. I've been there. Um, yeah, that is just that, it's that, uh, yeah, that, that, that lie of comparison. And once we play the game, there's no getting off it. Because if you're, if you're the dean of Truett, great, but you're not the president of Baylor, right? You're not, whatever it is, there's always another plateau, another thing that's there. And it's not just about envying someone else's place. It, it fractures us. Yeah. It distracts us from that which is in front of me. And, and yeah. it takes away from our faithfulness to the place God has us here and now with this particular people, with their particular warts, you know, that, that we're called to love and, and be a part of. You know, my story of ministry is, is not of one of, um, and we took plenty of criticism. We went through a bunch of people leaving and it was not easy, but really the struggle for me was finding people that would really speak truthfully about who I was and how I was doing and my, my limitations and the mistakes I had made. Um, more people saying, great sermon, you're doing a great, you know, that I knew there was critics and I, I knew how to handle those over time. Um, but really finding people just to speak normal truth to you <laughs> about your growing edges, about, you know, things like that uh, was really, really difficult. And I think for many ministers um, to find the truth external from ourselves uh, is, is really, really a difficult thing. And therefore incumbent on us to develop processes and good friends that, that, um, that help us lead us into that. Well, as you, I mean, as you think of some of those situations you mentioned, um, and again, you can pick from any of these or just more generally, I mean, how did the struggle to remain faithful, hopeful, persevering, I mean, how did that, how did that change you for the next stage? I mean, do you look back kind of on a series of those and see yourself change negatively, positively, differently? How did it shape you? Well, I think our decisions in the middle of those things make a difference. Uh, I think we all rise. We're meant to rise, and then we crash to the ground, <laughs> and then we rise again, and we crash again, and that's life. Let's be honest. That's life. Yeah. And so it's what do we do with that? Uh, do we become bitter? Uh, uh, do, we, do we learn how to forgive ourselves and others? And do we, uh, do we, um, we take that as learning? I mean, I think failure and suffering and disappointment, being misunderstood, uh, those are two edged gifts. Mm. They, they can cut you up or boy, they can, they can build empathy and character and resilience and hope. And um, I mean, I don't know that empathy comes any other way, but by being disappointed and, and, and forgiving and hope, you know, hope is just a word and a concept unless it's tried. Mm. I mean, hope mm. tried is not hope. And so I think, uh, I think the path is that we, we have to say that this is one, this is a part of life, the rising and the falling, the crashing. And then secondly, uh, do we have the resources and the friends and do we have the, the, the accumulated history that helps us to curate what's going on with us and then to move into the next stage, realizing that this can serve a greater purpose. 
Uh, I'm sure those, those who have lost have empathy more so than any of us, the rest of us. And the loss of a good friend teaches us that. And you don't read that in a book or get that in a classroom. Yeah. You, you, you have to walk through it. And so those are, those are things that are, are hard won and yet they're, they're necessary. And um, that doesn't mean being Pollyannish about it. I think it means uh, really taking stock and walking through faithfully through it and finding resource and God and friends in the midst of walking through it and realizing that we rise to maybe a, a different, not a higher, but a different place as we come through it. And that, that creates then sort of the, the accumulative effect of faithfulness and empathy and growth and maturity that allows us to be really good ministers. And it, it, then that causes us to, we have a lot of young ministers watching, just looking through the names of reevaluating all of our metrics of success, because oh. if to become a long-term persevering over 40 years of ministry or more faithful leader, it, 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 it necessitates being forged in the fire. You know, Todd Bolsinger has a great book out. He and Todd visited about a few weeks ago, Tempered Resilience. And the mm -hmm. whole theory of that book is um, he uses a couple of metaphors, one from Martin Luther King of the task of the leader is to hew uh, hope out of the stone of despair. Um, and then that we are forged in this blacksmith fire. And that's the only way to develop uh, the character that continue hewing at the stone of despair over decades is to be formed in this fire, like much of what you said. And, and it does reshape the difficulties we go through. Uh, not that being reshaped is the purpose for them, but there is a redemptive aspect of this. Only when we screwed up a few things in ministry and had to make up for it and, and had to apologize, had to repent, had to practice confession. Only when we work through some of that face true disappointment and trace, face true grief Th those are the things that form us for our long-term uh, longevity of thriving in ministry. But um, boy, yeah, it, it paints everything in a whole different life. Well, I look at leadership and I think, do I want to follow power and technique or do I want to follow this person who has been shaped? I mean, I'm following a person, not, not, not these gimmicks and not these power plays and not the technique of manipulating me or whatever, but I'm following a person. And because I trust the person, and I trust what's happened in the person. Well, that's something you don't buy. That's something that you live, and yeah. it's something that's developed in you, and uh, that God creates in you. Well, this is along those same lines, but um, I mean, how how have you kept cynicism at bay, Mike? <laughs> you're a hopeful guy, right? And you, but you're you're also eyes open to the world. Um, and you're, you're not hopeful by denying. I was supposed to preach at Calvary this weekend. My family's come down with COVID. And so we're in quarantine. I had to cancel. But it was going to be the sixth week on hope. And I really started the sermons preparing it saying, I'm sick of talking about hope. And then the thought came, maybe when we're sick of talking about hope is really when we're getting to the meat of what it means to hope. I mean, what does it mean to choose hope? naively, you know, to some degree, uh, in, in spite of all the evidence to the other, to the contrary, to choose hope over and over again. And the biblical pictures of that, that are just everywhere when you look at it, of people that continue to hope in spite of all contrary evidence. How have you continued to hope? Um, 
over, over all of this you've been through in your ministry and life? Yeah. Well, in part, it's, it, we're, we're, we're playing the long game, not the short game. Mm. And so we have to, uh, we have to walk this out. And um, as, as you know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm an avid walker. And I think it's become a part of my life because it's almost like you've got to be in a rhythm and trust the rhythm and not the circumstances, not the weather, not the mm -hmm. road, but trust the rhythm of the walk. And so we're, uh, we're, we're in that rhythm. And the, really, the rhythm carries you. You get tired, you, you, you get disappointed, but the rhythm carries you. And so, and back again to the small things, if we end those rhythms in the small things, and then when the things really try to take us down and we lose heart, we're in the rhythm. And a part of the rhythm for me, Matt, is just confessing, even when I don't believe it, <laughs> just confessing that he is God and that I am man and that I can count off in his, his, his good gifts to me. And that becomes rhythm. And the rhythm of life then carries me when, when I'm sick or when I'm disappointed or when I feel like I'm entitled. <laughs> uh, that rhythm is what keeps me going. And so I'm playing the long game, but I'm playing it step by step by step by step. And so that's the way I've beaten down cynicism. And boy, it's at the door knocking at the where I want to curse somebody or I want to curse life or even maybe God. It's, it's being in the rhythm that I'm walking this out and I can look back and see all this walking and I can look forward with hope that there's a destination for me. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's the walking. It's a step-by-step -step and realizing that step-by-step -step we get to another place. That's the point. Yeah. That we'll keep walking. We'll be in another place. And so, uh, and, and for me, a part of it is just confessing I'm mad or I'm disappointed or I'm undone. Help me. Or why did I say that? <laughs> what was I thinking? And, uh, and to live on the edge of that cynicism and that, that disappointment, but also to live toward stepping toward maybe the next um, belief and the next uh, uh, word of gratitude knowing that I'm going someplace else. So in, in a sense, what I'm saying is that hope is always out there. It's not here. It's always out there and I'm moving toward it. And that makes life fragile. It makes it kind of dicey, but I think we're, we're just men and we're, and we're finding our way as we walk forward. Oh, it, yeah. Um, that will change the way I walk in the evenings. I mean, it's a, a, what a great picture. I mean, we're literally stepping down cynicism. We're, we're stepping down, um, you know, disconsolation. I, we're, we're stepping on these things and choosing this again. And well, well, people ask me, Mike, why do you walk so fast? And so with, with such purpose, and that's a part of it. I'm not, I'm not sauntering and I'm, I'm not strolling. I'm walking. <laughs> and if you've never walked with Mike Stroop, I spent uh, several, a couple of weeks in Hong Kong with him and he will walk you to death. He, uh, he can outwalk anybody on this call. I don't care who you are. Um, it, it's, 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 it's impressive. Um, and God, isn't it, do you still find yourself amazed? And this is what I was thinking while you're talking. I mean, that God 
the spirit of God can continue to pierce your soul. Oh yeah. You know, and continue to break through even you and me in this and what that's where the hope resides, right? I mean, that's what keeps you coming. It is the walk, but it's the fact that God pierces that on the walk, really. And our confession allows that. Yeah, he can pierce all he wants, but we can resist it. Yeah. And we, and we can be angry and we can push him away. But the fact that we confess, I don't know. Confess, I'm undone. And so we, we open the door for him then to pierce us with this this power or this hope and this this new life and reconciliate all the things that he does in our lives yeah well and, and confession is that ultimately countercultural tool or, or practice of just nothing nothing in in politics nothing in watching church you know or really church scandals or celebrity culture you know it's all about the def, you know try to keep this away or, or try to be defensive or, or explain away, but just coming to that point of confession, there's no movement of the spirit. I don't think there's no revival. There's no uh, true change without that. And I, boy, we all have need. I, I've developed over the last year or so one pastor friend that um, I practice confession with. It's not all the time. Um, it's not, it's not even regular. But more than anybody else, when I really have something I need to confess, I can call him and practice that and have experienced that uh, in just a few really powerful ways um, of, of something that, yeah, perhaps perhaps is a way to bring the edges together. If our edges, uh, wherever those edges may be, right, in church and life and family can come back to a, a renewal of that practice that seems very hopeful to me. Yeah, and to that point, Matt, it may be that these days we have too many friends. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, a friend in ministry who is in New Mexico, I uh, was visiting him one time and he had across his, his, his little scroll on his screen saver, uh, more time with fewer people. Man, that's, that's convicting. Um, well, yeah. mean, meaning that, that we can, we can be friendly with so many people, but yet really not have anybody know us. Mm. And as you're saying, in terms of confession, in terms of walking alongside someone, I mean, that's expensive. That's, that's dangerous. That's being vulnerable. And most of us, we don't want that because we're fragmented and we don't want people to know how undone we are. <laughs> and ministry or particularly congregational ministry feeds that. I mean, it, oh. it can't particularly right now when we can't sit down over lunch and have a, a deep conversation We're we're limited to, and we can, we can still foster deep interaction right now. We just have to work harder at it, but it definitely lends itself toward a lot of medium friendships <laughs> that don't pierce that other level that goes down and, and really where our true self is, uh, is exposed. And that's, that's dangerous. Yeah, it is. Oh, we can hide and we can hide the sin and we can, we can posture and pretend. And so, I mean, a lot of our social media allows it, allows that as well. So, yeah. So just sitting across from somebody and looking them in the eye and them looking you in the eye and having a conversation uh, I think that that nurtures faithfulness and teaches us the rhythm of faithfulness. Has any of this um, shifted the way you're teaching students 
form, knowing that you're forming them for ministry of various stripes over the past few years? Are you asking different questions or, or offering different tools to them to prepare for this world? Well, no, I'm, I'm one that believes in questions and asking questions and uh, love to pose questions. But I think of late more and more, I'm, I mean, questions are good and they're key, but I'm more and more trying to confess mm. to my students uh, to let them know where I've driven my stakes down. They need to hear that. And, and I, the reason that is I think, I think more and more students know what the questions are. They're living with the questions. The questions are bowling them over. Mm. And it's not that I have to teach them what the questions are. I think by and large, they're coming and they know that, I mean, this is a mess and they know where the messes are. And so at some point I've, I've come to the conviction that I need to drive my stake down and say, this is where I stand and this is what's important or this is where I will die and this other stuff I'll let go and make that kind of confession in that I'm not saying you have to be like me or you have to take this on, but you need to know that for this man, I've driven a stake down here and it's made this kind of difference for me. That's one shift I think I've, I've taken of late yeah. is just, just, just to, re to really make my confession. And a part of my morning prayer is, Lord, I'm making my confession today. Let it fall on ears that need to hear it. It's not for everybody. Maybe if I have 30 students or even 12 students, it's not for everybody, but there's somebody there that maybe needs to hear that. And if the, pro if the spirit has prompted that, then it's for maybe that person or those two people. And I need to trust that and to realize that part of my faithfulness is to make that confession aloud if the spirit prompts it. Doesn't mean I do it every day. It doesn't mean that I don't raise the questions, but more and more I'm, I'm feeling the need to really confess and drive stakes down so that people know that at least for this man, this is what he has decided on this issue or on this important topic and just making my confession. Yeah. Mike, that's so good. I appreciate you sharing your time with us. This whole conversation reminds me, um, and it's a different conversation than I was expecting in some, which is wonderful when that happens. Um, so many, when we have big problems, most of us as ministers, I'll speak at least for me, we wanna fix it. I mean, I'm thinking about how do we fix? How do we heal? How do we get better at this? Um, but leadership development and spiritual formation, which are not synonymous completely, but obviously close related, at the end of the day is really ultimately about managing ourself um, and caring for ourselves and developing our character and, and our relationship with Christ and in our confirmation to Christ's likeness. Um, and that's really where this not ends, but it certainly begins and almost where it ends. We can only control that. And ultimately that shapes everything else around us. Um, when I do think a lot of us are caught up in what do we say? What do we not say? You know, how do we push? How do we not push too far? When ultimately it is, um, how do we allow Christ to, to flourish within us and shape us? And what practices, relationships do we need to help that happen? And uh, that's certainly my takeaway and my challenge from this. Um, and, and I appreciate it. As we come to an end, you have any Final thoughts, words of encouragement you want to offer? Hmm. Well, 
know, there's a lot of things that we're, there's a lot of things we're called to, called to ministry, called to preach. We're gifted for this, we're gifted for that. But I think the bottom line is that we're to love. No matter what the issue is, no matter what side of the table we're on. And to me, to be faithful means that I always hold that up as number one. And yeah, I have a role maybe to say something or to correct, <laughs> but more than anything, I have better love. And so I think uh, at the very heart of faithfulness is the question, am I loving well? Not pretend people, but the people that God has given me that's right in front of me. And am I, am I a lover of those that God has given me, whether I'm on a trip with them or they're in the classroom or we're sitting over at Penland, what am I doing? to love well those in front of me. So yeah, that's the last word. That, that is an excellent last word. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your witness to me and to many others. Um, the last year we've had our best conversations on a webinar with other people watching. I look forward to uh, grabbing lunch when we can visit perhaps with not everybody watching, but man, I do appreciate it and thank you. Thank you for everyone who tuned in that's watching that will listen to this on podcast. We're grateful for you. I hope you're encouraged by this and blessings on your ministry. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.